Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Media. Hello, this is Shereen, and I'm joined by James. There's no preamble here. We're just going to introduce ourselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're not fucking around here. Serious business. I actually, like, every time I start recording, I genuinely don't know how to start a podcast. I don't know any, like, yeah. any time this happens, I feel like I am doing it for the first time. Um, yeah, me too. We could just do a thing like Robert where we just kind of make a, like, eh, a body like noise. Like it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Maybe next yeah. time. I'll have to practice that in the yeah. mirror a few times. Um, but thank you for joining me today. Essentially today we're going to talk about the rise in Islamophobia and how the demonization and dehumanization of Muslims and Arabs leads people to be scared of something like a scarf. Um, the kafiya is the black and white checkered scarf you might have seen that's worn by Palestinians and their supporters. And it's really symbolic and important to Palestinians. And especially after those three students in Vermont were targeted because of the kafiya, I thought it was worth discussing what it is. If you hear noise in the background, that is my cat. And I apologize. That's just texture for pod. So Texture for pod. Yeah, that's what we give you here. Yes. But yeah, we, we're going to talk about kafia, what it, what it, where it comes from, what it means, why people do it, uh, yeah. why the time that United Airlines and Rachel Ray joined the forces of international jihad. It's going to be, be an interesting podcast. Yeah, I didn't know about that part, so I'm excited for you to tell me about it. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about United Airlines. They're great. Long-time supporters of the Palestinian cause. <laughs> <laughs> so first, before we start to talk about the kafia, I want to talk about this uptick in 
anti-Muslim, anti-Arab, anti-Palestinian hate, because we've been seeing a lot of supporters of Palestine lose their jobs, an agent in CAA, a lawyer in England, numerous journalists and news anchors. And this is an element of Islamophobia that I don't think we take seriously enough because liking or sharing a social media post denouncing genocide should only be seen as that, just a post denouncing genocide. I think the meanings that people push onto these things is really dangerous and discussions and meetings on the issue have been barred. People who express any kind of sympathy for Palestine, even in old social media posts, have been dismissed from their job. We're seeing counter campaigns by pro-Israel groups in the U.S. trying to globally shut down the voices of pro-Palestinian activists and to criminalize elements of Palestinian identity itself. For example, like displaying the Palestinian flag or wearing the keffiyeh headdress slash scarf. And this week, I think it's worth mentioning that the House passed Resolution 894, which equates criticizing Israel with being anti-Semitic. 95 Democrats helped the House GOP pass this extremely disingenuous and dangerous resolution. And in their words, it's against anti-Semitism, but it is extremely dangerous for the Jewish community in and of itself because condemning any criticism of the Israeli state should only be taken for that. That's the thing that I understand. People people project onto things. Yeah, anti-Zionism. I wanted to, like, when, when I was studying at UCSD, one of the professors who I, I was very fond of, who was very informative in my academic opinions and the way I teach, especially with someone called Deborah Hertz, who's head of the Jewish Studies Department at UCSD. She is one of dozens, if not maybe, maybe hundreds of academics who signed something called the Jerusalem Declaration, which, like... I believe most of them are involved in Jewish studies or Holocaust studies, Israel-Palestine, Middle East studies, things like that, right? And, like, I think it's useful to have some clarity around these topics because, like, right now there are people who gave zero fucks about anti-Semitism when there were literal mobs carrying torches through the streets screaming about Jewish people, right? When when uh, some of the people listening to this podcast and people on this podcast made every effort to call that what it was when, when large numbers of people in Congress didn't give a fuck, weren't ready to call like literal genocidal fascism, genocidal fascism in case it cost them votes or money. Now, now they're ready to, now they're ready to, to go hard as fuck against uh, Palestinian people, uh, which it does seem like there's a whole lot of people in Congress who weren't given a cudgel to beat Muslim people. Won't think about it for more than five seconds. Um, but I do want. To, I just want to read this part from the Jerusalem Declaration. It's JerusalemDeclaration.org. You can find it yourself. Criticizing or opposing Zionism as a form of nationalism, or arguing for a variety of constitutional arrangements for Jewish or Palestinian people in the area between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean, that's listed under things which are not on the face of anti-Semitic. Right? It goes on. It is not anti-Semitic to support arrangements that accord full equality to all inhabitants between the river and the sea whether in two states, a binational state, a unitary democratic state, a federal state, or in whatever form. I, I think that's pretty clear, right? Like, like, obviously, there are a variety of options there, all of which are neither genocidal nor in the face of it anti-Semitic. It, it's just, it, like, this is just a canard, but, like... like I saw Scott Peters, who is the congressperson for Poway. Uh, Scott Peters, I think it's pretty uncontroversial to say, it's a giant piece of shit. Scott Peters is the reason why my insulin still costs lots of money. Fuck Scott Peters. Uh, but he was, in this case, accusing UCSD students of being anti-Semitic for passing a BDS resolution. Another thing that the Jerusalem Declaration, which again was signed by Deborah Hertz, who's the head of Jewish studies at UCSD, 
specifically calls out as not being on the face of anti-Semitic, right? Like, like these people aren't, in some cases, listening to what Jewish studies scholars are saying. And I think like we we need to be careful when obviously like like all of us will call it anti-Semitism, right? I, I've been personally at the forefront of calling out anti-Semitism in the law enforcement apparatus in San Diego when our DA used anti-Semitic tropes in her 2018 campaign. That seems to have been memory hold, but because this, this I think is often simply being weaponized as another way to suppress protest movements and specifically to justify Islamophobia, which we should all stand against. Like regardless of where we stand on two states, one state, whatever, like I, I think if if we can see people using something because of cudgel against a group of people who like have been victimized by this state for a very mm -hmm. long time uh, and they're continuing to do it, like this shit got us 20 years of war fucking tens of thousands of lives right ruined or lost and, and we're going right back to it and, and like if you can't see why that's a problem i don't know if i have much more to say to you like yeah it's not great yeah i think that's a big reason why i wanted to bring up the resolution because when you have pundits and politicians pointing at a pro-palestinian protest and being like this is pro-hamas and when the resolution specifically calls out the from the river to the sea chant, which in theory should be protected by the First Amendment, but that's not real. That's what really troubles me because it's vilifying the entire idea of supporting Palestine, and that includes any kind of display of supporting Palestine. And you're right, it, it, it almost cheapens the meaning of anti-Semitism because it almost makes us overlook true danger to the Jewish people. And it also completely erases the identity of anti-Zionist Jewish people, which um, makes up a, a big part of the Jewish community, in my opinion, even though they want to make it seem like they're um, the minority. But the majority of Zionists in this country are actually not even Jewish. So Zionism isn't yeah. equated to Jewishness in the slightest. I don't think like we need to see to Congress a group of people who, like I said, who have been justifying war in the Middle East for 20 years when it comes to defining what bigotry is, right? Like, like we, a, a group of people who are like ruling over a country that's built on stolen land by stolen people, like we don't have to listen to them. They don't get to tell us what mm -hmm. is and is not these things. And like, yeah, you fucking do not get to talk about anti-Semitism when you said shit about Charlottesville, right? Like mm -hmm. it's clearly two-faced, it's bullshit, and it's just a cudgel with which to beat a protest movement that they see as woke or leftist or comprised of Muslims who they think are less than. And, and like, it, it's obviously despicable that people who did say shit about Charlottesville will make common cause with these people who are very clearly doing this in bad faith. Yeah. Uh, like it, it's we can oppose anti-Semitism and we should and we can oppose yeah. Islamophobia and we should. And, and, and but opposing them goes hand in hand in my opinion because we are essentially the same people. Like I don't see a big separation. Obviously the hate is different, but I think fighting both Islamophobia and anti-Semitism it goes hand in hand. Yeah, with that we should mention also that like consistently missing in American discourse are Sikh or Sikh people. There's something I want to get into in a little bit. I want to get into how there's a huge rise in Islamophobic attacks. And specifically, there was a Sikh person who was attacked because he was presumed to be Muslim. Yes. Because um, the anti-Arab dehumanizing language that we hear in the media 
it emboldens like hateful terrorists to commit hate crimes against Arab Muslim people or people who are just perceived to be Arab and Muslim. And I remember this, the tweet that Biden tweeted a couple of weeks ago when he was trying to cover his ass and be like, we hate Islamophobia too. But he said, people perceived to be Muslim and wrongfully, no, wrongfully perceived to be Muslim was the wording as if it was like a, yeah. um, a bad thing to be perceived Muslim. So do you, do you remember that tweet? at all yeah i don't know i try not to look at president biden's tweets because it's that's really fair. a source of joy in my life but uh, that's, fair, that's fair like, that's fair look the the dude sitting here while little children and pregnant ladies and old folks are sleeping out in the dirt in the border for the third night in a row like i don't give a fuck about what he thinks here again right that's that true. guy doesn't get to legislate morality for me because he has none and and word i simply don't give a fuck what he says word uh, i like that same. approach i like that approach uh but um Muslims and Arabs did pay attention to that word wrongfully, and it just kind of reinforced the sentiment in the country when it comes to Arab and Muslim people or those perceived to be Arab and Muslim. And the Council on American-Islamic Relations said it received 774 requests for help and reports of bias incidents from Muslims in the U.S. between the 16 days of October 7th to October 24th, which is a 182% jump from any given 16-day stretch last year, because on average in 2022, that number was 274 complaints. And Corey Saylor, the research and advocacy director, said, we're working seven days a week around the clock, fielding incoming complaints. I have only ever seen that twice in my career, right after 9-11 and in December 2015, after that announcement by Trump of his plan to ban Muslims from the country. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a good time in, uh, in yeah. history. Yeah, but like, the, the attacks on Sikh people are like a classic post 9-11 absolute like Islamophobic mania yes. on the right. And, like, uh, it's something that I, like, I'm consistently afraid of now, right, when I'm at the border, when there are Muslim people there every day uh, and there are Sikh people there every day. Mm-hmm. And there are also Jewish people there, right? Literally someone yesterday, we were trying to get some candles for our Hanukkah menorah, right? But it doesn't matter. People who are hateful have access to hurt those people. And that's something I've become extremely concerned with recently. Like, And uh, yeah, with half of Congress or more whipping up this kind of hysteria, right? Which uh, obviously, like, you know, like George W. Bush benefited very greatly from, although... If you look at the stuff George W. Bush says, and this is not a like yes, George W. Bush, like <laughs> like he he is outflanked a large number of the Democrat Party and his to the left in his acceptance. Like Islam is a fabric of America speech. Uh, like it, it's wild how how far we've come in a bad direction. And, yeah. But Shireen, do you know what else is is leading our listeners in a bad direction? <laughs> Please. <laughs> Tell me more. Uh, yeah, it, it's this advert for uh, Ronald Reagan memorabilia. Hopefully, we get a Kissinger one soon. Inshallah, we'll get a Henry Kissinger gold coin advert in this episode. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. 
you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Uh, we're back. I think it's worth mentioning some incidents that have happened um, when it comes to harassment and physical violence against Muslims and Arabs. On October 15th, you probably heard that a six-year-old was stabbed to death, Wadia El-Fuaymi. He was stabbed 26 times, and his mother was also attacked and was in critical condition. He was killed by his landlord, who was spouting anti-Muslim rhetoric. There's also a man in Illinois who was charged with a hate crime after he demanded two Muslim men to get out of the country and threaten to shoot them. And as we said, actual Muslims aren't the only ones at risk from Islamophobia. Anyone perceived to be Muslim, including Arabs who belong to other faith groups and Sikhs, for example, are a target. On October 15th, a 19-year-old Sikh teen was attacked on a New York City bus by an assailant who tried to remove his turban. And I think we should all remember that for Palestinians and more generally Arabs and brown people, this isn't a new thing. We've always been demonized and using dehumanizing language has deadly consequences, often not only for Palestinians here, but those in Gaza and any person of color around the world. I want to also point out that hijabi women are easily identifiable as Muslim and they're particularly easy targets for people that are terrorist and filled with hate. A Muslim pediatrician, a hijabi woman, was killed after being stabbed multiple times while sitting outside her apartment complex last month. Yeah, and to tell the community that's just been bereaved to, to, not, to not, you know, like, be afraid. It, yeah. it's, like, again, it's, it's a great time to say nothing, if that's your opinion. Yeah, I think it's, we're not really considering how afraid the community is, and they're Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't want to just, minimize that, mm-hmm. like Jewish people feel afraid too. Like there are real incidents of anti-Semitism. Uh, like there are definitely right-wing shitbags who are anti-Semitic who are trying to hijack hijack the Palestinian liberation movement for their own ends, and they suck and they are terrible, and we should all denounce that with mm-hmm. the same force that do Islamophobia. Like that's not a controversial statement, I think, for anyone who's not a complete turd. Yeah. 100%. Both communities are rightfully fearful, and that fear is valid yeah. for both communities. 
the last thing I want to say about this rise in Islamophobia is that ex-Obama advisor Stuart Seldowitz, who was harassing and saying the most heinous things to this uh, oh, yeah, the- halal cart vendor in New York. He was at one point the U.S. State Department's uh, director of the Office of Israel and Palestinian Affairs, which I think should tell you all you need to know about how our country feels about Palestine, because he was saying truly abhorrent things like not enough children have died yet. You, To be fair... That guy represents the shit bag. No, I'm not. Again, I'm not. This is not a like pro State Department statement. But like, there, there are definitely people within the State Department who are upset. Like, people have left the State Department because of the way that. And obviously, those people have felt that their voices are being marginalized because they've chosen to leave. Right? They haven't been yeah. listened to. But I guess uh, I wanted to yeah. bring that up because someone with that much hate was in charge of some decisions yeah. that affected. Palestine. And he has so yeah. much. And when you watch these videos that are taken on multiple days, which indicates that he was stalking this person, you see this man smiling and like almost Hannibal Lectory, and he's filled with so much hate. It is like spewing out of him. Yeah, it's genuinely disturbing. Yeah, like, it's disturbing. Yeah, uh, it's disturbing. That guy kept saying that for weeks and no one punched him in the face, but that's. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> A better world. Yeah, one day. But essentially, I wanted to just go over that really quickly about how the rise in Islamophobia and anti-Palestinian and anti-Arab sentiment makes it even more important to continue to stand up for Palestine and their people and their fight for liberation. And wearing the keffiyeh itself has been a symbol of this struggle for Palestinian liberation. And so we wanted to tell you guys about its history. James is wearing one right now. Good job. Yeah, because he's cold. Um, visual, <laughs> visual prop for a podcast. Yeah, I love to do it. It's a little, little just a, it's a little secret between us. Yeah, yeah. Well, not anymore. Yeah. Sorry, not um, anymore. No, <laughs> thanks, Shireen. But what is the kafiya? Just, just go over the basics. It's a cotton square-shaped headdress with a distinctive checkered pattern that is worn in many parts of the Arab world. The black and white one is known to be worn in Palestine. And I didn't know this, to be completely honest, but apparently it dates back to Sumerians and Babylonians in Mesopotamia in 3100 BC. Uh, it's been called other words as well. I think the most common one other than kafiyah is the hatta. Um, it's also said that the Prophet Muhammad wore one as well. So it has a long history and it was used as the symbol of high rank and honor among priests. When you move forward in history, the kafiyah was adopted by peasants who wore it while they were working on the land to protect them from the sun and the sand. That seems obvious. And it was in the winter to protect them from the cold. A very multifunctional piece of clothing. Yeah. You see, like, everyone in this region has some kind of thing. Like, like Kurdish people have their own different mm-hmm. versions, right? Everyone behind me, the, the Kurdish refugee gave to me the other day, which was very kind. But, like... Even when you saw the like, United States uh, troops fighting in the Middle East, right? They adopted like their like tactical version that was like mm-hmm. a green base, but like it's a very practical garment that yeah, people in this part of the world have worn for like even before Islam, like people wore these things to so, like mm-hmm. cover their faces. In, in their just because pra- it made not... sense practically, like it's just it's yeah for the yeah, climate. Yeah. They're very handy. Yeah. Yeah. And this is not very commonly known, but the patterns on the kafiyah is known to symbolize different aspects of Palestinian life. So there are some bold black stripes on the edges that are meant to symbolize the historical trade routes that used to go through Palestine. 
There's a fishnet-like design that represents Palestinian fishermen and the Palestine connection to the Mediterranean Sea. And then there are some curvy lines that resemble olive trees, which are a major point of pride for Palestinians, with the pattern representing perseverance, strength, and resilience. So it's an extremely symbolic, important symbol for Palestine. It hasn't always been, and that's what we're going to be going through. Because at this point, Palestinians view it as a symbol of their cultural and national identity. And unfortunately, others view it as a threat because, as I mentioned, those students that got shot in Vermont were two of them were wearing a kafia. It's said that they were speaking in Arabic. And one of these students is now paralyzed from the chest down. So it really is important to deconstruct what the scarf is and why on earth it would spark that kind of fear in anybody because it's not about fear or hate. It's about Palestinian pride and culture and history. As long as Palestinians are oppressed, then even something as simple as a traditional scarf can turn into something bigger than just cultural pride, because now it's a political statement. And I want everyone to realize that it's not something to be feared or something to get nervous around if you see it out in the open. So let's go back in history. Are you ready to go back in history, James? I am, yeah. That's, uh, I don't, can, we, can we do a sound machine, Daniel? Like, like a time travel sound? <laughs> Do you guys ever play Mario's Time Machine? I was obsessed with that game. It's PC uh, yeah, game growing up. Maybe we can find that sound. So the kafiya evolved out of the common headdress, as we're saying, that men in the Middle East wore to protect themselves from the elements. It was specifically worn by nomadic and Bedouin communities um, from villagers to city people and townspeople. And while the kafiya was often associated with peasants, the tarbush, or the red felt hat, that is like a cylinder shape that you might see people wear, that was often worn by more urban, middle, and upper-class Palestinians. I wanted to point out here that the word, like, peasants is a little bit extreme, because the word in Arabic is felahin, and felahin, I guess, is more villager type. But it's not really used in a very condescending way, because a lot of things are considered falahi like the one of my favorite dishes in the middle east is mjaddara which is just lentils and rice and that's considered a falahi dish so i just wanted to put that out there that it's not like a dis per se in arabic to say to call them peasants it is like an indication that they are of lower class because mjaddara is cheap to make for example but it's not exactly this like surf word does that make sense yeah yeah nick humble not like yeah yeah like a surf yes exactly so in 1936 though things started to change in the arab revolt when there was an uprising against british rule and occupation of palestine and this included demands for independence and an end to jewish immigration the armed palestinian rebel groups were largely made up of poorer men so in this way, whether it was intentional or not in the beginning, the kafiya basically was their uniform because these rebel groups were made up of poorer men and that was what they wore. And that made it easier for the British to target them when they were in urban areas. So as the fighting escalated, rebel leaders urged Palestinian men, all Palestinian men, to ditch the tarbush and don the kafiya instead. And so when Palestinians did this, it allowed fighters to blend in and evade British troops. At that time, the majority of the armed resistance was taking place in the villages, and the fighters used the kafiya to hide their features, helping it to become associated with the revolution. So it was not only a strategic success to do this on the rebels' part, but it was a breakthrough for the lower class as well, who basically forced their clothing onto the elites 
And this catapulted the keffiyeh as something that crossed classes and became a prominent national symbol. This is like perfectly timed as well to coincide with like the rise of nation nationalism in the early 19th and, and like a late 19th, early 20th century, right? Like the, yeah. when re- religion and like religion stops having this universal claim on truth and we see the decline in monarchy at the same time and mm-hmm. like the rise in more like at first like middle-class democracies, right? We call them sometimes bourgeois revolutions. Uh, like the nation came to be the way one could argue that the working class were kind of in, uh, tricked into supporting this bourgeois project or however you want to see it. But uh, yeah, nations arose all around the world in this time and they all took on symbols. So I think this was perfectly timed to, to sort of slide into that position. Totally. That's a really good point. So as the revolt came to an end, some elites, Palestinian elites, discarded the kafiya and they turned back to the tarbush. But at that point, it was already too late because the kafi had already been established as this emblem for Palestinian resistance. And this made Palestinian men also just start wearing it for an expression of their national identity. In the 1960s, we saw it become even more unifying because women started to get included into the picture. Leila Khalid is a Palestinian activist and a former militant who, fun fact, was the first woman to ever hijack a plane. (laughs) Yes. Feminism. After she took part in hijacking a plane flying from Rome to Tel Aviv in 1969, just a disclaimer that no one was injured in this hijacking, that wasn't the point of it, but a journalist captured a photo of Khalid holding her rifle while styling a kafiyah like a woman's headscarf. And this image became so popular, it helped cement Leila Khalid's status as an icon in the Palestinian resistance movement. Uh, I think Leila Khaled deserves an episode all on her own because she's an extremely fascinating woman and she's still alive, so maybe one day. But her choice to wear the kafiyeh was viewed as a feminist move on her part and it ushered in this idea that Palestinian women were part of the Palestinian rebellion and a part of activism, part of the resistance. And because they had largely been excluded in some way or regulated to other roles in the resistance. And so by making the statement and putting the kafiyeh over her head, She was also acknowledging cultural norms of Palestinians and using a men's scarf to do it. But at the time, I think it was really revolutionary. And first, when you see the kafiyah break classes, now you see it break genders. And now it's becoming even more acceptable for more people to wear it. And so she continued to wear the kafiyah often around her neck, and it inspired many Palestinian women to do the same. But... At the same time, that hijacking she took part in drew international attention, and many people in the West started associating Palestinian resistance with terrorism. And unfortunately, this meant the kafiyeh would also come to mean something else in the Western world. Yasser Arafat almost did not go anywhere without a kafiyeh. He was the chairman of the PLO from 1969 to 2004, and he helped popularize the image of wearing a kafiyeh around the world by, again, almost always wearing one in public. And many non-Palestinian activists at this time, especially those who participated in anti-colonial, anti-war, and other social justice protests, they began to recognize the scarf as a symbol of resistance and wear it to express their solidarity with Palestinians. But at this point... Israel had labeled Arafat a terrorist, and the United States designated the PLO as a terrorist organization. And so again, while some people identified the scarf with the Palestinian struggle, others viewed it as controversial and even a violent symbol. 
Many other global leaders around the world started wearing the keffiyeh as well. Even Nelson Mandela at one point was photographed wearing one. I think something especially humorous in modern times is how the keffiyeh has entered the fashion world um, and its meaning is kind of completely erased when it, when this happens. Some clothing brands took the scarf's widespread appeal and co-opted it, and it sanitized its meaning, and it erased its relationship with the Palestinian cause. I think it's important to bring up here that Palestinians and supporters of Palestine encourage everyone to wear the scarf. It's not appropriating it when you wear it in solidarity. It's appropriating it if you co-opt it and make it into something it's not, like a skirt or I saw a version of one that had like intricate stars of David in there to like be worn by Israelis. I think that's appropriation. But when it comes that's to solidarity and being in protests and showing that you care about the Palestinian cause, it's encouraged to wear it. And so I feel like a lot of people are afraid of cultural appropriation, but it's not uh, when it comes to the kafi, it's not about that. It's about solidarity more so than the act of wearing something that is from Palestine. Yeah, it's not the same as uh, wearing a plain Indian headdress, for example, or you know these yes. things which are very appropriative, and you should listen to the people whose things you're wearing before you wear them, mm-hmm. as a rule. Or, yeah, before you make them into your miniskirt line. Yeah. And when capitalism enters the picture, that's when we cross into appropriation territory, usually, and the symbolic meaning goes away. In 2016, for example, an Israeli fashion designer, Dodo Bar-O, used the kafiyeh to create a range of dresses and miniskirts, and she received a lot of backlash for this. I think Israel doing this is especially ironic only because what haven't they stolen is my question. The land, the the food, and now the clothing. I think it's pretty um, yeah. sad. Yeah, that's right up there with like the Washington football team having a racist-ass name or like... Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's it, it's a very appropriative and almost genocidal, right? To like suggest that like these people have a long history here, kind of like that's actually your history, and to like take it and exactly. erase their history is like it's like really uh, insidious. It's it's like a cruel to co-opt a struggle that people are just like trying to their people are have been trying to survive for so long, and to make it into something silly to make it into something yeah. that it's not is really hurtful and really pathetic yeah it's not respectful it's not yeah. like it doesn't show a good faith effort to like come to a solution in which both peoples are respected right exactly uh, the last and- example i'm going to make as far as fashion quote unquote goes is that in 2007 urban outfitters <laughs> sold a kafiya <laughs> that came in many different colors but they simply promoted it as a anti-war scarf and Unsurprisingly, controversy ensued, and they eventually pulled the item from its shelves. But I do remember this really brief moment in time where this happened, and it was so bizarre. Uh, I just had to mention it. But uh, let's take our second break. Yeah, and then we'll come back with a story about uh, that scarf. Yes. Hopefully, this is not for United Airlines, famous kafia enjoyers. (laughs) 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. All right, we're back. And uh, we are back to discuss famous supporter of the Palestinian cause, Rachel Ray. Uh, (laughs) Because uh, for those of you who are blessed to be thus far unaware of this, in 2008, uh, Rachel Ray wore a kafia, or she, she actually wore the Urban Outfitters model. Uh, which is like a like a silk scarf. It's mm. a little different. Uh, Kafirs are normally like a thick kind of cotton. She wore it in a Dunkin' Donuts, Dunkin' Donuts. There's no G. Dunkin' Donuts uh, advert. And Michelle Malkin, who's uh, you know one in a long line of crazy right wing people, uh, <laughs> accused her of wearing quote wearing the symbol of murderous Palestinian jihad. Oh my god! Uh, which is. Which is a real insight into where we were there at the uh, the end of the uh, of the Bush presidency as a nation. Uh, absolutely batshit insane. Uh, that was when I moved to America. Good times. Actually, that was when I moved to America wearing a kafia on the plane because you did? Uh, it was my, uh, yeah, it's my thing that I wore. It's a gift from someone who I'm Aww. very close with. Uh, and cool. uh, we used to wear them all the time at protests. That was a time when Islamophobia was like very present in the UK, mm-hmm. and so like it was kind of in a way. A way, I guess, to show solidarity or invite confrontation, depending on if it was me or not. I think I was probably mm-hmm. in column B as well as column A, but uh, it was just the thing that I wore, you know. And it was at, at that point the the movement for free Palestine was, I think, much more established in the UK than it was in the US, and uh, among obviously like like white folks such as myself. Uh, I immediately got sent to like a secondary inspection when I arrived in the United States. <laughs> like, wow. I got off the plane, I had my little badge with a Palestinian flag, I had my little kafia, and the guy was just like, go in the room. And then, yeah, we had a great talk about the stuff I had from Cuba, um, which 
at the time was obviously not a place that Americans were able to go. I think they still can't. Uh, so yeah, it was great. It's good. It was a wonderful start. They asked me what I was doing for my PhD. I told them I was studying anarchism. That went down like a sack of shit. And uh, <laughs> you know, from there, it began a long and uh, enjoyable relationship with our friends who keep us safe at our borders. Wow. Still going. Everyone has an origin if- story, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Before that, I was just a lib. I was just, you know, <laughs> not true. Uh, yeah, many, um, many uh, interesting Saturday nights. No, thank you for sharing that. I didn't know fear. about the Rachel Ray thing until you told me about it. Because I mean, way to go, Dunkin' Donuts. I guess it's like, yeah. Unfortunately, they pulled the advert. Like, still, it's a shame. In theory, yeah. Still, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts stands with Palestine. Yes, uh, it's okay. It's okay to put a donut on your kefir. Uh, because donuts are a friend of the Palestinian people. That's the takeaway. And, Correct. Mm-hmm, yeah. um, mm-hmm. Thro- we had donuts at the. I was uh, I was covering a protest the other day outside a drone manufacturing facility. Someone bought donuts. Oh, nice. Donuts can continue to stand alongside the Palestinian people. Wow, powerful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to mention really quick how I mean, in, in addition to capitalism just like being a disease. A lot of kafiyas nowadays are being sold like in mass because the Palestinian cause is getting more popular. But there's only one factory left in Palestine that actually makes them. More than five decades ago, there were about 30 across Palestine. And now there is one in Hebron, Hirbawi. It's the only kafiya manufacturer left. And um, it's been seeing a huge uptick that is, in their words, unparalleled ever before in their sales. Apparently they sold 18,000 of them in October and now they're in high demand. All the, like it's the sold out everywhere. And this is the authentic coffee. So one I have. Yeah. You, you, you have one from Parawawi, which is uh, great. It's very nice actually. Yeah. Don't, don't be buying like an AliExpress one because they're thinner and, and like this one is very nice. It's very You can warm. tell when That's... it's authentic because it's good quality, has a weight to it. And just aside mm-hmm. from that, supporting Palestinian companies is important and they're not the only ones that sell Palestinian kafiyas. They have some websites that they can sh- that they share on their website that um, you can get their kafiyas through. But I think it's important to realize that there's only one place left in all of Palestine that still makes the kafiyah. Yeah, it's a good gift in the holiday season. Buy yeah. someone. Yeah, go uh, add yourself to their cool email designs. list, and yeah. they they notify you when it's available for pre-order. So mm-hmm. I think supporting that factory is really important especially now and it's heartbreaking that it's the last one but uh yeah, it makes a great sling too one time i uh, i broke my arm and used this guy to tie it off it was uh works like a champ nice so it's got got my endorsement yeah multiple functions still to this day mm-hmm. yep yeah you can do all kinds of things the blankets the sling you can filter water through it because it's like a cotton fabric you have some turbid mm. water so yeah many uses exactly are you familiar with Dick Hebdiger? No, no. No, okay. Hebdiger is like an academic career about punk, but in his work on punk, he talked about how subcultures become commodified and then they just become aesthetics. Mm. So like, and that's like the point in which it happens to punk is when you can buy a, like a battle jacket or like a jacket with safety pins all down the arms, a gap, right? Like it's no longer punk, is it? If you got it from fucking gap, like the whole point of punk is to do it yourself. And yeah. I think this is in danger of happening again, as it kind of did in the early 2000s, and it just becomes yeah. an aesthetic. I don't want it to undermine the Palestinian narrative for liberation. You know what I mean? I, that's the thing that I hope does not happen. 
I don't think it is right now. I think so far people are wearing it in solidarity. And I personally really like when I see someone wearing it because I don't want, I want it to be normalized. I don't want it to be something that people look at and are afraid of or are afraid of wearing. Because after the shooting that happened in Vermont, a lot of people were afraid of even wearing a kafiya. Of course. Yeah. I think it's the solidarity thing you can do, right? Like, uh, you know, you, you can wear this. You're not only... You know, showing your solidarity, maybe you can invite conversations. You know, maybe yeah, people exactly. Talk to you, and so you can educate folks. And like, uh, also, yeah, if, if people are being targeted, like you can choose to stand with them or not, right? And by doing that, you know, hopefully they can't shoot all of us. Uh, one, one would hope. Yeah. No, America, they fucking, <laughs> they've been trying. So yeah, it, you can do it in the sense of solidarity, and uh, you know, maybe maybe you can spark some conversations, which can be beneficial. You can educate some people. Yeah. If they call you, a, if they call it the scarf of Islamic murderous jihad or whatever that uh, <laughs> Michelle Malkin called it, then probably not a conversation that will end well. Then yeah. you can just throw a donut at that person. Yeah. It's up to us to take actions that change how people perceive things in the world. And that's just a great example mm. of one thing. But I guess we've talked about in this episode how the kafiyah is part of the Palestinian past, present, and future. It's a historical artifact that documents the history of a people, and it's a living symbol that inspires hope. And it's interesting that a piece of cloth can have such strong emotions tied to it, but it's really inspiring that it's a prevailing symbol of freedom. And yeah, I, I love it. I feel pride wearing it. The kafiyah has become a way for Palestinians to visualize their land, visualize their home, and visualize Palestine as an entity that can exist in themselves as well as outside on their clothed bodies. So that's the episode. Uh, free Palestine. Bye. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 